I was really worried about being out of a job. And so I thought, you know, I might want to check and see where I am financially, see exactly where I'm standing. And when I did that, I was a little saddened that like I, I had saved some, but at 35 years old, I had about $400,000 and I was like, you know, I make pretty good money. This is a sad situation where I'm sitting. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. Thanks for listening. This is episode number 121. Jace, what's going on? Not a lot, man. Just, uh, you know, getting ready for tax time, baby. What are you doing? <laughs> did you go on a bike ride this morning? I did go on a bike ride. Played basketball, nice. went to the gym, and went on a bike ride oh, all, nice, all, nice. All, in, all in the morning. Well, we were talking here just a couple minutes ago about this article uh, uh, that we came across on CNBC. It's titled, White House Considering Tax Incentive for More Americans to Buy Stocks sources say. And so this is in, in you know, in line with Tom Trump's tax plan. I think something he might be trying to roll out here before this next November election. Uh, but this could change a lot of stuff. And, and obviously, it's in the preliminary early stages. But, you know, it'd be interesting to follow this and see what happens. For, so for anybody who hasn't seen it, it says money put into an account would be so after an after tax basis and taxed when withdrawn as well. Says Larry Kudlow, director of the National Economic Council, told CNBC the approach looked at most closely centers on creating universal savings accounts, which would combine retirement, education, and health care into one savings vehicle. Under one hypothetical scenario described by multiple officials, a household earning up to 200K could invest 10,000 of that income on a tax free basis. Although officials noted these numbers are fluid. So pretty interesting, right? I don't know if that means eliminating, you know, traditional and Roth IRAs and just lumping it into one account or obviously maybe eliminating new contributions, but kind of an interesting thought of creating one account that would maybe combine, in essence, an IRA, an HSA, and a 529 or other education savings accounts. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is pretty, if this goes forward and if this is part of, of Trump's plan, you know, in terms of probably rolling this out in the fall, I would imagine right before re-election. I mean, this could significantly change one, the way people put money into their retirement accounts, but also or how those accounts are structured in terms of passing them down or not. Because technically right now, Roth accounts roll down, you can roll those down. Traditionals, obviously, you know, with the with the passing of the Secure Act, there's all sorts of laws put in place to to eliminate some of the generation skipping that was going on with with those, or at least the potential for it. And you know, the HSAs were were kind of utilized as tax free in, used for healthcare, tax free healthcare kind of thing. So if you end up combining all those into one, we're going to see drastic changes in the way people probably approach each of those buckets. And, and also, you know, HSAs, a lot of employers are, are sponsoring those, if you call it, you know, if you will, where they're actually contributing them to them or allowing you to, to contribute to those through payroll. Whereas I don't know, at least right now, I'm not aware of any Roth accounts. Obviously, you have a 401k with a Roth option in many cases, but having an actual account like a Roth IRA that you could, you know, avoid paying 
fike on or not i guess that'd be kind of interesting It'd change the way we're going to do things if it, if it kind of rolls out right right pretty interesting to follow and, and at least in this article it mentions there'd be no change to the 401k but it, it would affect some of these other things but yeah interesting on one hand you kind of i don't know it's kind of sounds interesting i like it because it's all under one roof and you don't have to keep track of other things but obviously then that creates complexities for you know stuff like you mentioned where you have an employer sponsored plan or portion of a plan but Anyway, pretty interesting and, and something to keep our eyes on. And if we see something new or something that people should be aware of, we'll bring it back. Uh, but to jump into today's episode, we have Brian. He has a net worth of $1.1 million, which is invested primarily in the stock market. He works as a pharmacist. He got his start a little later in life on his financial and investment journey. So he shares how he got started. And it's something that stemmed from a simple Google search. On last week's episode, if you haven't heard that, we had Sam. Sam has a current net worth of about $7 million, actually closer to 8 He's retired from his work as an engineer. He owns several rentals, seven to be exact, and has seen extensive growth in his stock portfolio since 2008 and 2009. He provides unique insight on looking back over his life and provides some great financial advice. We'd like to thank this week's sponsor, Podcorn, for sponsoring the episode. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to sponsors and provides different types of advertising opportunities. Unlike other platforms, there is no middleman and podcasters of all show sizes can browse opportunities and determine which is the best opportunity for their show. Podcasters set their own rates and collaborate directly with brands. You never give away to the show and Pod also helps provide support along the way. Jason and I have personally used Podcorn to help advertise on this podcast. It's user-friendly, transparent, and has provided us with a few great opportunities. So huge thanks again to Podcorn for sponsoring this week's episode of our show. Check out the link in the show notes and see how you can use it for your podcast. Also, if you'd like to share your millionaire financial story, we welcome you to email us. Our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Our goal again here on this show is to get a broad list of guests and stories something that each person can connect with. So if you'd like to be on the show as either a millionaire interviewee or one who's close to it, feel free to email us. We appreciate everybody tuning in and listening to the show uh, each week after week. So if you enjoy the show, if you get something out of it, if you learn something, please leave us a review on either iTunes or Stitcher or another platform. It helps to grow the show and also to reach new millionaire interviewees. But without any further delay, today's episode with Brian. Brian, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're up to now? Sure. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm 41 years old. I live in Ohio. I am a pharmacist. A lot of my background comes from growing up uh, without much money. And so a lot of how I've approached my financial independence journey has been out of fear of not having money. So I've been frugal in a sense that I've worried about being in a position where uh, I wouldn't be able to get by. So I've, I've really adjusted how I spend and how I live my lifestyle uh, with that in mind. Awesome. And what's your net worth today? Uh, my net worth is a little over $1.1 million. And what's kind of the breakup of that $1.1? Um, I've, I've got four major accounts. I've got a 401k with work. Through Fidelity, uh, that's at $639,000, and that's uh, about 68% of my investable portfolio. It's $167,000. That's 18% of my investable uh, accounts. I've got a Vanguard Roth IRA that's $119,000, 
which is 13% of my investable accounts. And then I've got a, a Fidelity taxable account where I hold uh, one stock and uh, some cash for international travel. That's $12,000, about 1% of my investable accounts. And, and are those accounts, your 401k and, and the others, are those mainly invested in equities or what's kind of the, the breakdown of the, the investments that you have within those accounts? Yeah, the breakdown in my 401k, I hold a 60-40 mix of uh, stock indexes to bonds. And uh, so in my 401k, I've got 36% is in the S&P 500 index through Fidelity, which is FXAIX, and that's $241,000. And then uh, I have a U.S. bond index, uh, which is FXNAX. That's $192,000 or 32%. I have a global excluding the U.S. Uh, index, which is FSGGX, $118,000 or 18%. I have uh, inflation-protected bond, which is VAIPX, which is $48,000 or 8%. And then I've got any, a DFA Emerging Markets uh, Fund, DFEMX, and that's about $40,000 or 6% for my 401k. Now in my taxable account, I've uh, got uh, VLCAX, which is a large cap index. That's about $60,000. I have uh, VWIUX, which is an intermediate term tax-exempt bond uh, fund, which is $51,000. I have uh, VVIAX, a value index fund, at $7,000. And this might be sacrilege to the FI community, but my VTSAX index is only $6,000 of my total holdings. Then I also have VWAHX, which is a high-yield tax-exempt uh, bond fund at 4000 and VSCSX, which is – I include it as part of my cash holdings, but it's a short-term corporate index, and that's $20,000. My most aggressive is my Roth IRA. I uh, own uh, VGSLX, which is a REIT index, uh, $44,000. Uh, VEMAX, which is an emerging market index, uh, $37,000. VSIAX, which is a small cap value index at $29,000. And VGAVX, which is a fund at $8,000. I also have $10,000 of the one individual stock I own, uh, which is interesting because it's Boeing. That's been fun the last year or so. <laughs> and, and I got about $34,000 in cash and $165,000 in my paid-off home equity. That's awesome. So, I mean, Brian, this is pretty detailed. Is this something that you track pretty regularly? And, and are you pretty intentional about getting that allocation in those different funds? How did you kind of arrive at the place that you it, are now? It's funny you say that I'm intentional because I have been terribly unintentional for about the first 10 years of my investing uh, life. And I realized what a mistake that was. About five years ago, the company I worked for went through a potential acquisition in pharmacy. You could probably Google 2015 mergers and find out the two companies uh, that were going to merge in pharmacy. But I was really worried about being out of a job. And so I thought, you know, I might want to check and see where I am financially, see exactly where I'm standing. And when I did that, I was a little saddened that like i i had saved some but at 
35 years old. I had about $400,000 and I was like, you know, I make pretty good money. This is a sad situation where I'm sitting at uh, having maybe four times my yearly income and savings after 10 plus years. So I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to start looking into this. I ended up Googling, how do I retire early? And, um, I came across the first website I found was Financial Samurai. And that led me to a couple others, uh, get rich slowly and kind of jumped in the rabbit hole of the financial independence movement. And of course I was a little bit late, but I was like, you know, my parents were always frugal. I spent recklessly because I was, when I grew up, I didn't have a lot and I think I overcompensated and it, I, but I, I didn't, it wasn't that I wanted for, for love. I just, my friends had all the fun stuff. And I didn't. And I was like, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to be able to afford all the fun stuff. And I, I, I overcompensated. And so now I'm very intentional and, uh, a big, big, uh, part of what I've looked into investing has been things like Paul Merriman has been one, one person I've, I, and he seems to be an, a very honest financial person. He, he seems to say this will, will lead you. And he doesn't seem to have any ulterior motives. I had financial advisors and they would put me in terribly high fee funds. My worst start was a family friend. I said to somebody at work, Hey, I'm going to need a retirement account. If I start at this small independent pharmacy and they're like, we'll find you one. They brought me an insurance salesman that was also selling American funds. And I thought, well, I don't know anything about investing. He'll help me. And I told my parents who it was and they're like, Oh, his dad's a bank president at a local bank and, and they're, they're well known in the area. So I, I trusted wholeheartedly and he's a good person. But every time I would bring up a 500 index fund, why can't I invest in a 500 index fund? Everybody's talking about it. He said, Well, we can't offer that. And so I just took that as gospel. Oh, well, I can't get in that. And the more and more I looked, I thought, well, perhaps I should go somewhere else. So I've become much more intentional. And when I started in uh, 2016, becoming much more intentional, the gains just blew my mind compared to where I was. Well, thanks, Brian. I appreciate you sharing that because I, I think, you know, there's been many people that we've interviewed on the show that have a similar situation. Right. That, mm-hmm. that got maybe a, st- a later start or weren't as intentional uh, earlier on. But I think some people are hesitant to share that. So appreciate you opening up. I just want to talk about if you're comfortable, just that moment again, where where you kind of said, hey, I need to be a little bit more intentional about that. And what led to that? Well, the big thing was was the potential acquisition. I work at a mail order pharmacy. And so I work for uh, a fairly well-known pharmacy that owns this mail order. And uh, of course, when mergers and acquisitions happen, you just have a conference call and and you hear, hey, this company might be buying us. Well, I worked at a mail order and the company that was buying us had a mail order already. And so at work, everybody is thinking, you know, if this much larger, much more powerful, much more profitable company purchases us, we might be out of jobs. And so pharmacy has been a profession. When I started, there was a tremendous pharmacist shortage, a position where there's a tremendous pharmacist glut. In essence, there are no new pharmacy jobs year over year. 
but there are 15,000 new pharmacist graduates every year. So I was kind of looking at some writing on the wall and thinking, you know, I might want to protect myself the best I could in case of a a financial situation uh, where I'm out of a job. And when I was very young, uh, four years old or so, my dad, who's a teacher, lost his job. And uh, I just remember they had built it. My parents had built a new house. And six months later, my dad lost his job and we ended up they couldn't afford to finish the house. And we lived in the basement for three years Mm. uh, of this house. And my mom had a grocery budget of $100 a month, which when people think of groceries, they think, well, that's what I spend twice that every time I go to the grocery store. So uh, I I came back to, you know, I don't want to be in a situation where my finances are, are crunched and I'm thinking, where's the money going to come from? So I, I just was started becoming defensive. And so that's kind of how I came to where I was is I thought, you know, I can spend a hundred thousand dollars a year, but I grew up and I don't think my dad ever made more than forty five thousand dollars a year and we lived a good life. We might not have had all the toys, but we did pretty well anyway. So I thought, you know, I'm just gonna tighten up, save some extra, and that's how I got to where I am today. Well, good for you and congrats. So one point one million 41, barely 40, young 40s here. Do you, we, you usually ask this at the end, but do you have any goal on where you want to get to now? I'm, I'm, my goal was always a million dollars, which I mean, in, in my portfolio, I'm at about 950 right now. I'm basically uh, going to work until it just comes to a point where I, I just can't tolerate it. The, the politics or the, the cuts this year. They cut our 401k match from 9% to 4%. So in essence, it was a 5% pay cut through one email three weeks ago or so. And so I, at that point, I'm like, you know, how much can they take where I'm like, no, it's not worth it anymore. But the more that I save, the more options I have. I think if I spend $40,000, 4% roll, then a million's enough. But market's pretty high right now, 3.5%. Uh, withdrawal rates probably a little safer so it has one five in the portfolio but the more that i save the more options i have i can be a little more aggressive with my equities if i want because my my bonds is a percentage if i'm stay 60 40 well the more i save i can just dump more into equities and so that's that's kind of how i'm approaching it I'm, i'm pretty open right now but that's kind of where it stands yeah. So are you married? Any kids? I, I'm single. Uh, I, I've been in uh, relation, long-term relationships. I dated a girl for almost six years, and that was a large part of indulgent lifestyle where I was not spending intentionally or living intentionally. And uh, a large part of why I thought, you know, I, I probably should should spend more intentionally is through these six years, I think we went on 12 cruises we traveled we went to many uh, concerts <laughs> maybe maybe 50 concerts and concerts aren't cheap these days maybe a hundred dollars a ticket and and after we'd separated I was talking to her and and I I said well uh, didn't you enjoy going on these trips and she said well it really didn't mean that much to me she said it was nice to get away but it didn't mean that much and I, I th- I'm going through the math in my head I'm like 
geez, that's like mm. 80 grand I spent that didn't mean that much. And that's what's left on my mortgage. I could have just put it on the mortgage. <laughs> and so I thought at, at that point, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe it's not what you're spending and what you're doing, but it, it's, I mean, you can have enjoyable moments that don't cost anything. And sure. so I, it, it kind of made me more intentional in that sense. What was your favorite cruise for you? Just curious. Alaska's beautiful. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. And I mean, I've, I've actually, I've done one in the Mediterranean. I did one in the Baltic Sea, but, um, I love to travel. We'll get on that later when you ask me about what's important to spend what's money worth, on. What's but, worth the money travel? Yeah. But, uh, Alaska, I mean, you would open the blinds and look out and it's just the most amazing scenery you've ever seen in your life. Wow. I was going to say, Jason and I are staying in the interstate room, so I'm probably not opening the blinds. But (laughs) (laughs) well, yeah, well, that was when I spent a lot and got the balcony room. Now, now it's an inner room. But um, (laughs) but if you go to Alaska, get a balcony Uh, room. Yeah. So you you mentioned the financial independence group a little bit and retiring early. Is is that something you're interested in? Uh, Definitely. And and just thinking of my salary, I was like, oh, if I make a, a lot of money, I could probably retire it. 45 or 50. And I'm, I mean, I didn't really think about how I, how I would make it happen. It was just kind of a general idea. But, um, so I thought, you know, maybe now the big killer for me is healthcare. It's a little surprising, but people that work in healthcare usually do not get very good healthcare from their employers. Our premiums just went up 300% at the end of the year. Mm. Um, and, there's no like legacy healthcare. Like when you retire, you don't get it. So you have to cover your own healthcare. So that's, that's the biggest obstacle for me is, is figuring out what to do with the healthcare situation. And I've looked into uh, the health shares, but to me, that's, that's a pretty big risk. Um, just if they're going to pay, if they're, if you have a heart attack, are they going to cover a $200,000 hospital bill? And so, um, I'll probably end up with a uh, Affordable Care Act plan. And if I can minimize all of my income, then I could get subsidies because Ob- Affordable Care Act, Obamacare looks at income instead of assets. And so, but I would probably have to keep my income under $35,000 or so a year, which I could live on if, if I'm not traveling extravagantly or if I do some travel hacking with credit card bonuses, or uh, it would probably save me a lot of money not traveling to work 70 miles a day. So, Yeah. And I think that concern of healthcare and retirement is echoed by anybody that, that we've had on the show that's either A, early retired already, or, or B, looking to retire. It, it's you know, just that, a difficult situation. Yeah. And you, you try, you look at all of the options, but in the United States, healthcare, that's how a lot of Drug companies stay in business is by charging Americans. So yeah. um, it, it is a is a difficult situation. Yeah. So I want to ask you, Brian, about real estate because a lot of our a lot of our millionaires are invested in real estate. I know you're invested about fifty thousand, I believe you said in a REIT, right? Mm-hmm. Any interest in in buying a rental or investing in real estate at all, or, or you're kind of more just want to stay in the market? Well, it's funny that you ask that because my parents have five rental properties and their first rental property was their first house. Uh, and when they built their second house, 
the reason they did that is because my grandfather had some rental properties and that was advice he gave to my dad is rental properties are a good way for people that don't have a lot of work income to supplement that income. My grandfather painted houses. My dad was a teacher. And so uh, my dad started with one rental when he built his first house. And then about eight years later, he bought his second house for the shocking sum of $7,000. And I just remember, yes, it, it had been foreclosed on and sat empty for two years. And the reason he bought it was it was next door to his mother's house. And so he didn't want any riffraff moving in next door to his mother. So he bought this house for $7,000 and put $7,000 into it. Every pipe had been burst in the house. Uh, We had to replace all of the electrical work. Um, And I spent the entire summer when I was 12 years old, my seventh grade year, helping my parents fix up this rental property. And so every time I was exposed to a rental property, it was a problem. So every time there was leaky toilet, Brian, we got to go fix this toilet. Every time there was an issue with a roof, Brian, the roof is leaking. We have to go uh, fix this roof. I just saw problem after problem of rental real estate. And I'm like, I don't really know if I want this in my (laughs) life. Because as, as a pharmacist, my job takes up a lot of like mental bandwidth, a lot of stress, a lot of thought. And the last thing that I need when I'm in my downtime is extra stress from rental properties. And so that's why I've stayed away from rental properties. And I'm, I mean, I know it's a great passive income avenue. And I've, I've looked into uh, some crowdfunding websites and I've looked into a lot of alternative investments. But to me, simplicity is so important. And I, I just, I don't want to be, I enjoy traveling. I don't want to be traveling and get a call from a property manager and think about, oh my gosh, I've got to replace this hot water tank or, oh, I've got a roof leaking or, oh, the tenant upstairs has a leaking sink and it went into the downstairs tenant's living room and we've got to replace the entire ceiling, which happened to my parents. So (laughs) there's just been so many issues where there's a lot of money in real estate. And I mean, I'm God bless all the. For me, simplicity wins over over rental real estate. So that's why I do the REITs. And I've looked into Fundrise and CrowdStreet and, and even Peer Street, which does some some uh, loaning to people that are investing in real estate. But uh, I'll probably have to wait till I'm an accredited investor to get into the likes of, of Peer Street and CrowdStreet. But I, I haven't ruled it out because I, I would like to diversify the best I can. But I don't have a very good REIT fund in my 401k, so the only way I can invest in it with a good tax location is in my Roth IRA. You know, Brian, you bring up a bunch of these other alternative investments, these alternative platforms. Has insurance or whole life policies or any of that kind of you know structures of, of investments ever crossed your mind? Have you ever invested in any of those things? Have you ever explored any of them? Well, the... First investment advisor my dad ever recommended to me, I went to because I made a good income and I was maxing out my retirement account and I made too much to invest in a Roth IRA at the time. There was there was no provision for a backdoor Roth IRA. And instead of the investment advisor recommending that I invest extra in a taxable account, 
He wanted me to invest in a whole life policy. He recommended a $1,500 a month premium that I could take out when I was retired. I could borrow against the policy and it would be tax free. And he said, this is a great tax saving. Luckily, I had done some reading and uh, financial independence community will also love this when I was in college. And she said, avoid insurance policies as investment vehicles because the fees are exorbitant. And I listened to this gentleman that was a friend of my dad's and all he did was pitch this insurance policy. And I thought, I can do it better than this. I don't know how I can do it better than this right now, but I can do it better than this. And and so uh, the only insurance policy I have, I have a small term life insurance policy because I don't have any children. I don't have a wife and, and uh, I don't have any debt. And the only reason I have the policy is to keep my parents happy because my mother was an insurance agent. So, um, but yeah, I try to avoid whole life just because of the fees, because I think you can self-insure and save yourself a lot of money and, and get further ahead that way. Yeah, totally. No, I, I definitely agree with you. It's just something that, that we've had some listeners recently write in about, do people use, do these millionaires use these investment vehicles? You get a lot of these insurance people peddling these products, right? But you always got to remember that, you know, they're making a nice, nice, healthy commission on those things. And that's probably why they're peddling them, right? You, you have to watch the, um, People that have motives outside of your own best interest. Totally. People that that their uh, sales pitch doesn't really align with what you're trying to do, but what they're trying to. And I mean, I understand if you're a financial advisor that sells commission-based products, or you're uh, selling an insurance product, you're trying to feed your family. But at the same time, there are other people that will allow you to feed your family because they don't want to do it by themselves. They don't. They don't want to be bothered with researching and finding alternatives. But uh, I always thought, you know, there's a lot of people out there, but I'm pretty intelligent. I think I can figure this out for myself. And so uh, that's what I've tried to do. Yeah, totally. So you got a net worth of 1.1. You paid off the house. Was that something that you did on purpose was pay off the house early? Or was that just kind of something that happened? You got a 15-year mortgage and here you are today, paid for house. million net worth. I didn't really know much about investing, but I did know that debt is bad. Like you you read a lot and people tell you, oh, you don't want to carry a lot of debt. And I didn't have a great like financial education. I'd never heard of a Roth IRA till I was 24. I didn't hear about what refinancing a loan was until I was almost 30. So when I got out of college, the financial advice I got was, you'll make a lot of money, buy a house for the tax deduction. Now, I don't know if this is good advice or bad advice, but I heard it, and it like I was always looking for advice, probably in the wrong places, but uh, I was looking for advice. So I bought a house because I thought, oh, well, that's what people do. They buy houses for the tax deduction. And so I bought a house with a 6% loan. And uh, refinanced it 10 years later at 2.9%. Now, there were probably many times in between there I could have refinanced it and cut a, a percent or two off. But I didn't know to do that. And after I refinanced, I paid my house off within three years. And it, it just shocked me. I'm like, oh, I'm making such great progress. What happened? And I just didn't know that that was something that financially intelligent people do. So. Um, I paid off the house because 
outside of what I was investing in my retirement accounts, uh, I thought, well, I've got extra money. I'll just pay down this debt. And so I didn't actually start investing in taxable accounts uh, until about four years ago because nobody said you should invest outside of retirement in any accounts. And after I'd paid off my house, I'm like, what do I do with this money now that I was paying on my house? And I mean, the reason I have Boeing stock is I started buying individual stocks and I didn't know which ones to buy. I was just like, well, I like flying on planes. A lot of people fly on planes. I'll buy this Boeing. And so I bought it at 132 and it's 330 now. I don't want to sell it for the tax problem. But um, I started listening more about financial independence movement. And one great person in that space is J.L. Collins. And that's how I found out about investing in index funds. I invested in index funds in my retirement account, but it's only because I'd heard about them and they were supposed to be great. And I was out percent a year. And I thought, maybe there's something to this. You know, you, you bring a couple good points, and, and I think you'd probably agree that that really financial education and, and kind of the journey we're on is really a long process. It's not something that, that we kind of, you know, learn overnight. You'd mentioned that you'd had that experience at 24, and then you kind of learned some more at 30, and now here you are, you know, in your 40s. But all along the way, you've made all these different conscious decisions to get kind of get to where you are getting more information along the way to be able to execute and, you know, at, at this point, arrive at 1.1. So, Brian, at this point, where do you kind of go from here? I've had some target income goals. The better my tar- uh, my passive income is, the less I would have to withdraw from taxable accounts. And I, I'm kind of hoping if I do pull the ripcord on early retirement to do some Roth conversions. So the more that I can get in passive income, the better. And right now, I'm only about maybe $5,000 a year in passive income in my taxable accounts. So uh, the more that I can save in there, if I can get to ten or fifteen or $20,000, and uh, once I'm an accredited investor, if I can get some extra passive income uh, that way, investing in crowdfunding uh, real estate or, um, I mean, even something like uh, preferred uh, stock in uh, ETFs to to boost my passive income, then that's less that I would have to pull out of my taxable uh, accounts. But I don't really have an exact target. And of course, I, I don't want to really put that out there if anybody from work listens to this podcast. But uh, <laughs> probably at the minimum, one more year of work at the maximum 45 years. So that's four years from now. Uh, as a pharmacist, we are. Uh, basically have a state board of pharmacy that you have to be registered with and your license is good for in my state two years at a time so i have to be very careful that i don't break out of the profession too soon because uh, i have uh, continuing education that i have to maintain every two years and and i've actually done my continuing education up until i'm about 44 so i can i can work until 44 uh, now, uh, and, and I'm education pushed out so that if I retire at 42 or so, I'd still be able to go back into the workforce for two more years and, and recertify. But with the medical profession, it's kind of like once you're out, you're out, you can't really come back in. And so, uh, I don't really want to do that and then go into a 10 year secular 
bear market and be like, well, now I can't make up any money. Right. So I, I, I'm just very risk averse in that sense because I invested a lot in my education. Uh, the job has, has been very, very fulfilling for me. But at the same time, once I'm out, I'm not planning on going back if I can help it. Yeah. So I just want to finish here with some um, rapid fire questions before we wrap up. So what, okay. what's been the most expensive pair of jeans you've ever purchased or pants? Probably $35. Okay. Shoes? Uh, I think I've paid $120 for a pair of hunting boots. Okay. Most expensive car? $38,000 for a pickup truck I bought in 2007. I'm still driving. Uh, most expensive meal out that you've personally paid for? Probably about $100 at Smith & Walensky Steakhouse in Boston. Okay. We know that you, you like spending money on travel, so what's been your most expensive vacation? Well, I've got a trip booked in May to Georgia and Armenia that was a little over $4,500. Okay. Have you ever used a financial advisor? Uh, yes, two. One I had for about 10 years that put me in American funds, and the other who tried to sell me on whole life that I ran out of there very quickly. <laughs> okay. What do you spend a year household spending? Uh, usually between 40 and $45,000. Okay. Favorite books or, or tech tools or websites? Well, the best book I think that stuck with me when I was 18, I read The Millionaire Next Door and I read it on vacation and it, I don't, I don't know what it was about that book when I read it. And it just said to me, you know, you you don't have to overspend, and the people that are overspending probably are not as successful as the people that aren't. So it, it just stuck with me, and, and every time I questioned my financial decisions, it would come back to that book. So Thomas Stanley, thank you very much. Rest in peace. Hmm. Uh, great advice. And then as much as you're comfortable sharing here, what's been your range of, of household income through your work in life? Uh, when I started um, out of pharmacy school, I was making about $90,000 a year, and there's not much advancement uh, in pharmacy years. How much is pharmacy school, Brian? Um, when I went, and this is, I started in 97, tuition was $27,000 a year. And when I graduated in 2003, it was $35,000 a year. So you're probably, at the same university I went to, you're probably looking at $60,000 a year, and that's a six-year program. Six years, well. Wow. So just in closing here, I'm going to, I'm kind of going to ask you two questions is one, you know, you're a millionaire now at 41, uh, several years ago, right? You mentioned that you kind of looked back and said, Hey, I don't have all that much savings. I wasn't maybe as intentional as I should have been. So the first question is how has being a millionaire now or feeling like you have some sense of security financially, or you have control of your finances, however you want to say it. How has that affected your confidence and happiness levels, if it has at all? And then B, maybe what advice would you give to somebody who is in a similar situation to you that maybe is getting a little bit later start? Uh, confidence level, it's kind of like I'm in office space now. I'm kind of like all of the garbage I don't really care about. And so it makes me a lot more honest at work. It makes me a lot less worried when there are our shakeups in the the management structure. I'm I'm just like I can just go and do my job and I don't really worry about anything else that the political that's going around me. Um advice for people and I actually have a close friend and he's got uh two stepchildren 
that are about 21, 22 years old. And I keep telling them, and they've actually asked me for advice because uh, they they know that I've been fairly successful. And they're like, what should we do? And so I always recommend start a Roth IRA as young as you can. Like if you're in college and you work, when I was in, in pharmacy school, I had to work about 30 hours a week on top of it just for paying interest on school loans and to have money for books and just to, to get by. I, had I invested that in a Roth IRA, I'd have been out of, out of work three or four years ago. It start as early as you can. And even if you're 30, start now. The best time to invest is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. So I just tell people, invest the best you can and, and remember what's important. People think that possessions are important. Buying the newest television or the nicest car is important, but it's the people around you and uh, just really matter. Great, great advice and, and totally agree. Thanks, Brian, for coming on. We really appreciate it. That's everybody. That's Brian Networth of 1.1. Thanks so much for coming on and, and sharing your story. Thank you. And thanks for the opportunity, guys. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.